I look at everything through the lens of how independent creators can monetize online. So specifically writers, artists, uh, actors, everyone who's in this kind of creative art space. And I used to run a creative organization that threw open mic nights every week. And so I've been very, very embedded in these communities of musicians and artists who are just trying to figure out how to make a living doing what they love. And we saw a little bit of that with Web2 with people able to monetize blogs and starting to get money from social media where they can be influencers and get their work out. But I think Web3 is going to be a whole other level where musicians are realizing that they can turn their tracks or, or things into NFTs and, and can kind of sell things without record labels. And I think that the distribution channels are about to be completely broken. Just how Web2 completely broke the self-publishing uh, publishing industry, uh, which is in a very dark place right now. Uh, I'm seeing how a lot of my old memoir ghostwriting clients are opting for new forms of publishing. And I think that that's gonna to continue to evolve because books aren't going away. Like Barnes and Noble is still has plenty of books on its shelves and is actually like up in their revenue lately. And so it's just, how are, they, how are people going to consume these different artistic content, whether it's books or mu music or you know whatever. And I think that there's also different ways to fund things like films and, and fund different projects outside of Hollywood where it isn't tied to a location. And so Web3 for me, I I'm seeing a lot of different ways to, that creators and artists can use tokenized communities and even use DAOs to have their fan base actually be a part of building their their world and building like the, and interacting with them um, to help get their art out there and distribute it. And so it's like your favorite artist could ask you, hey, like, do you want to help make some art for my newest album? Like join my DAO and I'll give you some like some of my tokens, which is like you can turn in some real money for your work and your labor. And so it kind of will create these like artists like almost communes around different creators who want to use the, these communities in different ways. So it's going to take the the transactional nature of buy my book, buy my album and be part of my community. And I think that Web2 is already moving that way with social media, but with the way that all of this decentralized um, technology is going to completely transform the arts and how creators are going to be at the center of that, like that is super exciting. Welcome back to Cool Hand Crypto, where cinema, culture, and crypto collide. My name is Matt Silverman, and please remember to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast app. Today's guest is a globe-trotting, creative-writing, digital explorer navigating the perilous waters of Web3 copywriting with apparent ease and prowess, while providing audiences with a unique window into a successful freelance lifestyle under one of my favorite handles on TikTok, Pseudoscience. Amy Pseudo. Welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of your work and, and the show, and I'm excited to, excited to chat. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I feel, as I said before we started, I, I feel like our journeys kind of mirror each other because I, I used to live in Los Angeles also, and uh, I packed up and left about a year and a half ago, and we may return, but I was also, between the pandemic and just the industry, the entertainment industry, very disheartened by it and... Uh, and then also sort of awoken by Web3. And I feel like you've had kind of a similar journey um, out of Hollywood and into this new ecosystem, which is, it's all connected and it's all related, but um, 
yeah, if you can tell us sort of where you started as a, as in TV writing and in Hollywood and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, like everyone else, came to Hollywood to be a TV writer. And so I went to USC for film school. I started working as an assistant. I worked my way up from an agency assistant to a writer's assistant. I got a shot at writing my first episode of TV where I got to work with a CIA agent on my episode. And I was thrilled. I was like, finally, I've gotten here. It's my dream job, dream show. And it wasn't exactly what I wanted. And I'm like, what is missing? And I thought there's something wrong with me. I was like, I wanted to be a TV writer since I was a kid. And I realized that there was a lot of life experiences and things that I wanted that I couldn't get in Hollywood. And so I decided when the pandemic hit, it kind of accelerated my journey. I'd already started doing freelancing a little bit before that, um, but I decided to go full-time freelance. And then I kind of just started traveling the world. During the pandemic, I spent like eight months on a road trip and then three months in Europe. And, uh, which was incredible because there was no crowds and where we visited was just like beautiful monuments in Prague and Budapest and Italy that were empty. And I was able to do all of this because I was able to work for my laptop and write and just do cool stuff. And I stumbled upon web three, uh, in that time frame as well, because I was doing a lot of tech writing and I've always worked for tech startups and love that community. And a lot of my friends were actually leaving Hollywood and to become, tech startup entrepreneurs. And I was kind of watching them and seeing how cool that world was and seeing how much they were using their storytelling in the tech world. And I was like, oh, this seems really neat. And so it was kind of like an organic jump from uh, what the writing that I was doing because I was doing ghost like, memoir ghostwriting and other copywriting into the Web3 world. Amazing journey. I guess I, I think I want to split this sort of conversation into two halves. The first being um, your niche and what you're working on and, and how you work and how people can work with you. But then also just uh, after that, Web3 as a whole and the ecosystem and the creative economy and, and where this is all going. Uh, because it's it's really exciting and I think it's hard. I love talking with people who are who are in this space, talking about this space and writing about it because sometimes it's really difficult to talk to people who don't understand it uh, on why it's so exciting. And um, I'm hoping this conversation will will uh, uh, be a good resource for those people who are saying, you know, what what is this Web3 and why is this so exciting? Um, but let's start with, uh, I want to go back to that sort of toxic culture of, of hustle culture, right? Uh, getting out of hustle culture and sort of finding your own uh, rhythm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. Well, as uh, as as you probably know, spent any time in Hollywood, it's it's so ingrained in your bones that if you're going to work for your dreams, you have to put everything on the line. You can't work for very much money. You often have to work for free. If you want to see any of your dreams come true, you have to sacrifice everything because that's how everybody does it. And so you're kind of put in this mentality where um, when I was starting off at an agency, I was working from, I'd wake up at like 5 a.m. to go right at 6 a.m. before my work started at 8. And then I would come home after 8 and then immediately go out to drinks and network with people and then come back exhausted around 10 or 11 and then do it all over again. And so I was caught in that that cycle for a really long time, even after I had left the agency world and the assistant world and was kind of translating that experience into freelancing, it was really tough to get out of that mentality of like, if you want to have any success in this world, you have to grind yourself down to to ash. <laughs> and I, I there's this really good book called The Laziness Lie that talks about how we are kind of brainwashed into thinking that our worth is tied to our productivity. And if we take a day off, then we're failing ourselves and our family and the, the people who helped us get here. And so so I spent a lot of time trying to unlearn all of that. And uh, this also coincided with, I got a diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis last year. And I was like, my world was falling apart and having to deal with health issues that were also partially stress induced. And so I was having to like, 
redo everything. And I was really grateful that everything came kind of came tumbling down because then it helped me realize that I was being very unhealthy <laughs> and surrounded in environments where living in a very unhealthy way, not taking care of your, your health, not taking care of your financial health. Like all of that was glorified. Like if you were a workaholic and doing a million things every day, like you were super man or superwoman um, instead of actually taking care of yourself and being healthy. And so it's been quite a journey to re recalibrate in that sense. How did you know when that recalibration was sort of working, when it was succeeding, when you're going, you know what, I think I can be a freelancer. I think I can do copywriting and, and work my, you know, have a full-time successful uh, career doing this. So I had been doing uh, freelancing on the side and moonlighting as a freelancer while I was in Hollywood. So I kind of already knew that it was something that was viable for me. But when the pandemic hit, I decided to go full-time freelance. And I was lucky within about a month or two, it was viable for me to, to go and jump into that. And then it's kind of taken about like a year after that to understand like what my niche was and what I was most excited by. Because I started off with memoir ghostwriting, which was incredible because I got to write these stories for former NBA athletes and monks and like all these really fascinating people, but it was also very draining work that didn't pay super, super well. And so I realized that like stepping into copywriting helped me also be able to handle my own creative projects and allowed me time and energy to do those while also managing the freelance writing side of things. So the balance has been, <laughs> been a little tricky, but I think it takes a bit of time to get into your niche as a freelancer and understand what you actually love to do and what your skills align with. Are you still working on your own creative projects? Yes. So uh, my partner and I are releasing a Lovecraft-inspired podcast later this year. Uh, so I've awesome. been producing that. And then I also am finishing up a podcast that I wrote and produced called The Last Station about the last radio station on Earth. And then I'm also working on a novel. So those are all all projects that I've been very lucky to be able to do during quarantine and, um, and do now while I'm also traveling and doing everything else. That's great. So both those podcasts are scripted or unscripted? Both of them are scripted and they're available at kingdomofpavement.com, which is my scripted podcast company that I do with friends on the side and voiceover actors all over the world. Very cool. Can you talk a little bit about undercharging and knowing your worth as a freelancer? Yeah, definitely. This is something I'm very passionate about <laughs> because I remember the best piece of advice I got was one of from my early clients. Uh, I was on a phone call with her and she was like, how long do you think it'll take you to do this assignment? And I was working hourly with her and I'm like, oh, it'll only take me an hour or two. It won't take me very long at all. And she said, stop. You're not allowed to tell me that. You need to tell me it's going to take you four or five, maybe six hours because you're going to go to the gym and you're going to think about this assignment. You're going to walk down the street to get your mail and think about this. You're going to kind of take the afternoon to eat food or go to the grocery store. And you might think about this project too. You need to bill me for the hours you are thinking about this project, not just the hours you're sitting down on your computer to write. And she's like, that's advice that I got when I was freelancing and you need to understand that too. And so a lot of freelancers kind of take the mentality of, oh, like I am so lucky to be getting paid at all for my time that um, I just should just do, you know, charge like the bare minimum. But another thing that freelancers need to understand is that you can't charge the rate that you would get as an employee because you're not getting employee benefits. You're not getting health insurance. You're not getting unemployment. And so these companies are getting a great deal with working with you because they're able to hire you as needed on demand talent and they don't have to pay to train you. They don't have to pay for all of the experience that you've gotten up to that point. And they don't have to pay for all of those other taxes associated with employees. So as a freelancer, you not only have to bake all of that into your rate, but you also have to add the time that you're resting or learning or uh, expanding your horizons because all of those things are things that you offer to your clients in the work that you do for them. 
Yeah, perfectly explained. I think a lot of people need to hear that. Yeah, it's really it's really tough because it's like as a freelancer, it's really tough to go into these fields and you see a lot of people not charging very much and and just grinding things out and it's not a very sustainable way to live because a lot of freelancers who do that do that just burn out. And so expert freelancers who really have that experience under their belt need to make sure that they're charging. They're leading the way with what they're charging to show that, you know, it's okay to make a good living as a freelancer because you put in the work and the effort and you're providing valuable work to clients. And if you're a beginner freelancer, you still need to start pretty high, like at least $30 an hour at the very minimum, so that you can understand that you need to be able to pay your bills and be rested and okay, so that you can then perform great work for your clients. Because nobody wants to work with a freelancer who has way too many clients, is stressed out and harried all the time, and is not actually putting in the detail and the work that needs to be done to do good freelance work, which takes a lot of time and energy. I think you should be a career coach also. <laughs> I'm too busy, but I'm, I'm always happy to, to educate and help and, and help people get started with this stuff because I, I was so lucky when I started my freelancing career to read blogs like The Freelancer's Year and to like watch people's careers unfold that I could then take solace in knowing that this, this is more than doable to be a freelancer and it's so financially viable uh, and it's way better than traditional employment. So I, I'm, I'm all for preaching the gospel because it's like, this is how I got here is by watching other people do what what I then started doing. Yeah. Well, your, your confidence is contagious. And I think it's important people um, hear what you're saying and, and, and sort of uh, build that their own confidence, right? And, and do it for themselves. So on that note, how do you stay confident in a space like Web3? Because as the deeper I get into it, the less I understand. Uh, it's sort of one of these mosaics where the closer you get it, the less it makes sense. And, and the way people do business in Web3 that I'm finding out more and more, and it's not that they're uh, necessarily scamming you, but it feels like you're being scammed because it's just very mysterious and anonymous and shifty and a lot of people uh, pay you differently than they would in, in a normal thing with no contracts or over crypto. So can you talk a little bit about, um, I guess first, how do you stay confident in Web3? I think it's important to remember that Web3 didn't exist a year and a half ago. And it is all like crypto existed, but the whole concept of the, the ecosystem of Web3 is brand new. And people are writing the dictionary every day. Like just yesterday, play to earn was the term, and now it's GameFi. And so everybody's changing the terminology they're using, how they're approaching things, how this technology is being, being used and implemented in different things. And so I think it's important for freelancers and, and skilled professionals in the space to realize that uh, it, it is really tough to keep up with all these changing trends and all of these this uh, jargon <laughs> that gets me frustrated sometimes because I think that sometimes the jargon can ob obscure like what does this thing actually do? What utility is this NFT collection providing to users? And how can people who aren't involved in Web3 be the, have your project be the first project that they dive into? And so I think that that's the work that I do a lot with clients is helping them understand that the people, the market of people in Web3 is very small. People who understand what this space is, it's still very small compared to the broader society. And so your goal as a creator in Web3 or as an entrepreneur or founder is to educate the people who have no idea what this stuff is so that they can jump into your project and be excited about it and be um, excited to learn more through your entry point, whether that's your NFT project or Web3 platform or whatever. And I think that that's important. I think education is a key part of this space. And 
and um, it, all of this stuff can be learned. <laughs> like this isn't something that everyone should know or like be educated on. Like we're all learning every single day and it's important that we're not only learning, but communicating clearly about how all this stuff works and trying to decrease confusion. Because if you confuse, you lose. You lose out on potential users, you lose out on potential collaborators. And so, uh, and there are a lot of frogs and frauds and like rug pulls out there. And so I think that we need to be encouraging people to have the confidence to move about this space. I think it was your TikTok I saw that that was anti-jargon. That was you, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm so over jargon because, uh, yeah, occasionally I get some trolls on Upwork who reach out to me and be like, your your blogs aren't like like thorough enough or detailed enough about Web3. And I'm like, I'm not speaking to you, probably. I'm speaking to people that I want to educate on what Web3 is and how it intersects with the creator economy. And if you're upset that I didn't like shove more jargon in there, then it's this isn't for you. <laughs> and I think that like jargon also keeps a lot of women out of this space or people who are technically or not like encouraged to get into um, into these spaces. And, uh, and and I think that it is such a gatekeepy thing that I, I just, I can't stand. I think it's important for us to understand how these things work and like have the basic knowledge. But I think that we're just like slathering on words that are just coming out of nowhere rather than trying to communicate clearly. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I'm also anti-jargon. Uh, I'm, I'm launching an NFT project with uh, Luke Dale, who's my co-founder. And we are so adamant about being clear and uh, reaching out to people who are new to this space. Um, but I, I, I find it increasingly difficult even to talk to like my wife or my parents or anyone I know, because even when I think I'm being clear, I, I feel like um, it's going over their head. I'm somehow using uh, jargon that I didn't even mean to, or, or just the general concept of Web3 is hard to understand. Do you ever find yourself running into those walls? Yeah, I think that it's it can be whenever there's like new concepts or new things that are created or there's something, a new technology that I'm not familiar with, it does like spark a rabbit hole of like, okay, I need to go figure this out. And so it, it can be, some of this stuff can feel a little nebulous or it's difficult to understand how all of these different things dovetail together. Um, and so, and because I'm not, I don't come from a technical background, I still want to make sure that I can understand the technical side of things. And so I've had to do a lot of self-education and self-learning in this space, which is a must. Um, but I've also like listened to podcasts where it was just wall-to-wall jargon. And I still don't understand what the project was. It was just like, I, this is not helpful. Um, like there's this one project that I was really excited about learning and I listened to podcasts thinking it was one thing. I'm like, wow, this founder is like doing something really cool. And then I went to the website. It was not what I thought it was. And so I think that there is like still a lot of like cloudiness in this space. And so while we should all keep learning, I think it's, I think it's also important that founders are really taking the time to clearly understand things um, but while balancing their, their copy, especially on their landing pages so that people who already know all this stuff can just get past it. When you take on a new project or a new client, what is your own criteria that you're looking at? I'm really excited that pretty much all my Web3 projects right now all have a really cool utility to them. And they all have, they're offering some kind of like value addition to the Web3 space. And I think that's really important for me because I've seen a lot of NFTs that are most likely like just like JPEG plus community. And I think that the era of that is a little bit over. (laughs) And I I don't think that like NFTs now have to actually have like deeper layers of utility for people to get excited about that because community is very ethereal. It can just disappear. And I think that you need to have like those things that people find value from, especially if they're staked in the real world or real world assets or like kickoff passive income. And so 
I'm really excited that all the projects that I'm on have that sense of like real utility of like change the world utility of like, we're using this technology in a way it hasn't been used before to do X, Y, Z. And it's really neat to see. So I'm, I, I feel like all of my favorite web three projects are all the ones that I'm working on. And that's really exciting. So that's kind of the criteria that I'm looking for is that I need to be passionate about this project and passionate enough to help this founder really get into the guts of what it means to explain this to people and get people hyped about it and help spread the word and, and create brand guidelines and tone guidelines lines that can then keep the messaging consistent forever. Um, so that's something I'm really excited about. And then I'm also involved with some very story heavy NFT product collections. And so I've always loved diving into the story side of things and, and really helping like craft story that is around the utility of the project. So it all feels really organic. Before we go to story, and I definitely want to talk about story, let's, let's uh, talk about utility for a second. What what is good utility in your eyes? Uh, because we, you know, we'll have this thing where we'll explain our project, we'll explain the utility over and over and over, and people go, oh, that's awesome. So what's the utility? And we'll say, well, I, we just explained it to you. This is what our project's doing. They'll go, yeah, yeah, but what's the utility? And, and, I, and I think when people say that, they're asking different things. Some people are saying, well, what, how much money am I going to make off of it, for example? Or what exactly am I going to get out of it? Um, or, or how can I use it? Or there's so many different sort of definitions of utility. So what in your eyes is a good explanation of utility and, and what is good utility? I think that's really interesting. I think good utility is something that provides value that can last a long period of time. And whether that value is a pass to an experience or an event or a travel destination or uh, an investment is something that will kick off passive income or an investment in a real life asset. It's been really cool to see a lot of projects tying their uh, virtual assets to real assets that will continue to appreciate. So that's really neat is to see those things that are, this isn't just something that exists solely digitally. This is something that's tied to the real world in a way that's really, uh, that will continue to have value you and isn't that just going to disappear? Um, I think there is no, I don't know if there's such a thing as bad utility. I think that there are things that might be um, more uh, temporary, such as communities that are just a Discord channel where there's no community manager, there's no way to ensure a quality community experience. And so I think if it is going to be community focused, there needs to maybe either be like in real life events or meetups or other perks or events that come with that membership. Because I think if it's just an online community, people are going to be more, you know, might move more quickly to other communities because those are really easy to start up. Um, so I think good utility is unique and provides long lasting value. You said you're working on other projects that are story focused. What does that mean? I work on a lot of different NFT and Web3 projects that are wrapped in really deep storytelling. I did a project for Dripper Drown, which was an NFT collection about a bunch of dolphins in, in Atlantis. And we had a long storyline for that. And so I really love working on projects that have these like deep storylines. And a lot of projects are diving into the Hollywood space of wanting to finance storytelling and be in that world too. So anything that's related to storytelling, whether there's actual written stories that go along with the project or a utility that helps to promote storytelling and the funding of storytelling, I'm really excited about because obviously from my Hollywood background and my experience in the arts, I think it's so important that there that these projects are helping uh, storytellers and stories get out there and, and, and uh, be shared with the world. Can you talk maybe a little bit about the macro idea of storytelling? Because I, I feel like my background in entertainment also has at times helped me be a more clear communicator than someone else because I, I realize the type of way I need to communicate something, um, you know, whether that's anti-jargon 
or being simple or using visuals, you know, um, how do you apply storytelling to not necessarily a story specific project, but just a, 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 you know, copywriting about maybe something technical? Definitely. Uh, one of my favorite books about copywriting is actually StoryBrand. And this book dives into how Joseph Campbell's mythology about storytelling and the hero's journey applies to copywriting and the do's and don'ts of applying that storytelling mindset to really concise, clear copy that pulls people in and how to use people's emotions and to communicate with them on a story level, even if it's just a headline on a web page. And I think that one of the biggest takeaways of the book that I really love is the idea of like, if you confuse, you lose. And whether you're walking somebody through a, a sci-fi story or you're walking somebody through the story of how this company got started and what it can do for you, I think it's the same kind of journey and that same kind of like uh, uh, understanding that there's a problem that the hero, uh, you, the customer are facing, and that this is how we're going to solve it together. And then positioning the brand as the, um, the wise mentor who's helping you, but the brand is not the hero, you're the hero. And so I think there's a lot of really cool messaging with storytelling that can be laid over even the most technical of white papers that, that is really important for people to be like, oh, wow, and be surprised and have those elements of unwrapping a gift where every layer kind of brings you a little bit of delight, even if it is very technical and explaining benefits in a way that is uh, um, very dry. I think that there's still that wow factor of understanding the full, the, the full potential of the project and through very technical copy that can still feel like story on a, a, a neuro, neurological level. Yeah, I love that. I love applying the hero's journey to sort of un- uh, you know, to, to projects that don't seem to have a hero's journey, that don't seem to have that kind of story through line. But applying that emotional journey to it, I think, is a great way to look at it. Is that how you approach all well, a blank? When you're looking at a blank page, um, are you thinking about the hero's journey or what's your sort of formula for crafting the shape of a, of, a, of a copywriting project? It's definitely that, but I think it's also very much thinking about who is the audience and what is the ideal audience's emotions around this topic? Like, what do they want to feel? What are they currently feeling around this problem? And understanding how to talk to them as if you're sitting across from them and being like, hey, listen, this is really cool. I want you to hear about it. And a lot of Creative, a lot of creative copywriting is about making sure that you're understanding those persuasive guidelines of not yanking somebody over here and being like, you've got to check this out like immediately, but also walking them through and explaining the benefit to them and, and how cool this is and kind of letting your enthusiasm come out through the tone of the brand and, and have them kind of pulled into it. So definitely making sure that you're, I feel like a lot of copywriting has that marketing hat with it of understanding like who is this potential ideal customer and how can we talk directly to them? So when they land on this page, they're like, wow, I feel like this person's speaking to me. I feel like this brand is speaking to me. I feel like this NFT project is speaking to me and what I need right now. And so I think that that's really important is that that personal feeling, even if you're telling that through a story or very technical copywriting so that they like land on this and be like, yeah. So it's all about creating fans, like creating like users or people who just land on your page and then turning them into fans who are just so excited to be a part of that because that's what Web3 like lives and breathes on. <laughs> like you need your fans to spread the word and get invested into these projects and spend real money to be a part of these communities and a part of these different uh, universes and metaverses. Otherwise, there's nothing. And so I think that that's really important. And it's also cool to see how the creator economy is going to be kind of diving into this where 
where there's a lot of these metaverses that are going to rely on artists to make different in-game assets and rely on all of these creatives. And so, and I just think that there's so much potential in this space and I just get really excited about it. <laughs> oh yeah, no, me too. No, it's, it's really exciting. And, and we'll dig into that in, in just a minute. Uh, before we go there, can you tell us a little, I think you mentioned on a TikTok that you have uh, a free sort of copywriting 101 that you give to people. Is that right? Yeah. So I have a freelancing 101 guide on my website, amysudo.com that breaks down how to get into freelance writing, how to find your niche. And I talk about freelancing broadly, but more specifically, I have also articles just about freelance writing. I think that anybody can get into freelancing. And um, while at my niche is writing, I also try to offer guides that are helpful for anyone trying to get started as a freelancer. Why is TikTok important to you? And what other platforms are you using? I'm mostly just focusing on TikTok because that's where I'm finding the highest engagement. And it's important to me because it's a storytelling platform. And I really love that as a storyteller because it's a way to connect with people. And I've met a lot of people who follow me on TikTok who are like, I was going through the same thing too. And, and then we can connect over that. And so I almost think that it's like the perfect networking tool, the perfect way to like meet people and create community and engage with other communities. And it's been really neat to meet other creators in the Web3 space. And so I think that TikTok is not just a, a social media platform to push out content, but also a way to connect with people and understand what other people are going through and, and kind of be on that same wavelength and also learn. There's so much great educational content on TikTok now. It's not just people dancing. And so I really enjoyed that shift to be able to follow knowledge workers and other people who are professionals and putting out content about how they how they live and how they work and what their day-to-day -day is like. Let's dig into Web3 a little bit more. What's exciting about it to you? What are you seeing in the projects you're working on that makes you excited about it? Yeah, I think that specifically, I look at everything through the lens of how independent creators can monetize online. So specifically writers, artists, uh, actors, everyone who's in this kind of creative art space. And I used to run a creative organization that threw open mic nights every week. And so I've been very, very embedded in these communities of musicians and artists who are just trying to figure out how to make a living doing what they love. And we saw a little bit of that with Web2 with people able to monetize blogs and starting to get money from social media where they can be influencers and get their work out. Out. But I think Web3 is going to be a whole other level where musicians are realizing that they can turn their tracks or, or things into NFTs and, and can kind of sell things without record labels. And I think that the distribution channels are about to be completely broken. Just how Web2 completely broke the self-publishing uh, publishing industry, uh, which is in a very dark place right now, uh, I'm seeing how... A lot of my old memoir ghostwriting clients are opting for new forms of publishing. And I think that that's going to continue to evolve because books aren't going away. Like Barnes and Noble is still has plenty of books on its shelves and is actually like up in their revenue lately. And so it's just, how are they, how are people going to consume these different artistic content, whether it's books or mu music or, you know, whatever. And I think that there's also different ways to fund things like films and, and fund different projects outside of Hollywood where it isn't tied to a location. And so Web3 for me, I I'm seeing a lot of different ways to, that creators and artists can use tokenized communities and even use DAOs to have their fan base actually be a part of building their their world and building like the, and interacting with them um, to help get their art out there and distribute it. And so it's like your favorite artist could ask you, hey, like, do you want to help make some art for my newest album? Like join my DAO and I'll give you some like some of my tokens, which is like you can turn into real money for your work and your labor. And so it kind of will create these like 
artist like almost communes around different creators who want to use the, these communities in different ways. So it's going to take the the transactional nature of buy my book, buy my album, and be part of my community. And I think that Web2 is already moving that way with social media, but with the way that all of this decentralized um, technology is going to completely transform the arts and how creators are going to be at the center of that, like that is super exciting. I agree with everything you just said. Uh, in my travels, though, I feel like a lot of this stuff is so in its infancy that it's kind of a, a cluster. You know, these DAOs seem to be very messy. They don't really know what they're doing. The intentions are good, but I'm not sure that they they have a shape yet, which is hard for something that is decentralized, perhaps. Um, are you seeing that, too, or are you seeing DAOs or, or uh, tokenized projects that are really... Um, you know, really well formatted. It's tough. I'm I'm still like half in, half out in the whole DAO world because I do agree with you. I think it's very early infancy and it's really hard. I was a part of two different um, Hollywood related like artist co-ops co basically. And it was really hard to organize a group of creatives for a common goal. Uh, we ended up shutting down both of those because it was just impossible. Um, and so I'm a part of a few DAOs now and, and kind of doing some research and I'm seeing some really cool ways of incentivizing people people to, to work when they're able to and receive tokens for their time. And, and, and I think that anytime that there is like money to incentivize people that helps, but the level of work that it takes to get these things truly out there is a pretty astronomical. And I think a lot of these DAOs are seeing success because they're being pumped full of venture capital. And so that is also part of what's going on. <laughs> but I don't want to be a total pessimist in this space because I, I do think that this model could potentially work on a large enough scale where you have enough people who are willing to do an hour of work here or there every other week. Uh, then you can maybe amass the amount of people that you need to get stuff out there and to like find ways to monetize the DAOs work so that you can keep money coming in sustainably rather than having to raise money. So a little, little, little suspicious about how all this stuff is going to work in the future. But I think that there's a lot of really interesting things that people are trying. And I'm really, really, really like impressed by the, the level of organization that some of these DAOs do have already. Outside of your clients, what does collaboration look like in your world? So right now, I've been really focused on the scripted podcast space to so just finish up these last two podcasts. Uh, and then my business partner, Kyle, and I are working on two apps uh, that are coming out. Uh, we're actually about to go into um, working with our engineering team in the summer for one of them. And the other one, we're, we're kind of in early phases of design with. So we've been kind of deep in that world and trying to figure out how Web3 kind of can layer over those different technologies that we've been working on for the last few years. So that's kind of where my main focus has been. Uh, freelancing takes up a lot of my time and so does my novel and kind of other creative projects. So I haven't been able to do full co co creative collaborations with people in the Web3 space, but I'm excited and open to different opportunities with people as they come up. Can you talk about, and it's okay if you can't, um, how you think Web3 will layer on top of some of those things? Yeah, definitely. So I think the tokenized community is a really interesting uh, option. Like, I think that there's a better ways to build social communities and to incentivize like positive social behavior um, that could potentially layer into these. And then we're also building an educational platform uh, to help people get into freelancing and Web3 and all these different spaces. And so we're trying to figure out how to use uh, uh, different tokens in that as well. So we're, we're still in very early days of exploring that technology, but um, it's, it's so fascinating to kind of like see how fast all this stuff is moving and try to figure out how to integrate it with like our existing uh, infrastructure with our, what we've already got built. Before we wrap up, is there anything we didn't talk about or anything you want to tell people who maybe lost the, the ball while we were talking and uh, we, we want to get them back as far as, 
you know, ha having a path into a freelance lifestyle, having a path perhaps into Web3. Um, is there anything we missed or anything you want to say? Yeah, I think that people who are non-technical have a place in Web3, just like the people who are technical. And I think that a lot of people get intimidated by all of the technical language in Web3 and not understanding that it is actually a very pro-creator, pro-artist platform. And we this is not to devalue the importance of developers, but also to just recognize that there's a lot of artists and creatives who aren't thinking about Web3 because they think that there's no place in them if they, for them if they can't code or if they don't fully understand the blockchain. And so for me, I'm always trying to get people into these spaces being like, this is for you too. You just need to understand like how you can kind of plug into what is already existing. And so I think that that's kind of always my mission is to get creatives both into freelancing so they can learn how to monetize their work and have that day job that they can be super flexible and then get into web three so that they can meet people all over the world and collaborate in really new, exciting ways. And so, and not, not have to like go and get an engineering degree to do so. And I feel like web three can apply to any industry, right? Yeah. It's basically just a set of tools that you can use in any sort of industry. And so it doesn't like, there is no, no guidelines of what it can or cannot be used for. And so I think a lot of people just think it is, this is technology only this small niche rather than thinking these are a set of tools, just like social media and web two had a set of tools that you can then apply to any section of your reality or your industry that you're working in. How can people find you if they want to work with you or if they want to email you or learn more? Yeah, they can go to amysuto.com or they can find me on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram at pseudoscience. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Amy. Awesome. Thanks, Matt.